Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode. I am here with my lovely wife, Wendy. Hi, podcast listeners. And we're happy that you are joining us. Yeah, we uh, are just off a TOB Institute first that I think our listeners would enjoy hearing about. Yes, we just completed the Love and Responsibility course. We've offered this course for many years, but this was the first time that I got to teach it, and not only teach it, but co-teach it with our longtime friend, the wife of Jason Clark, who's the executive director of the Institute, his wife, Jeanette. Wendy and I have been friends with Jeanette since 1995, mm-hmm. even before we were married. Yeah. Uh, I met Jeanette because she was studying with me at the John Paul II Institute in Washington, D.C., and we both entered f- as full-time students in the fall of 1995. Wendy and I were engaged and we got married that November. And I was getting to know all the students and enjoying getting to know all the students. Yeah, that and was wonderful. It was such a gift. And and I said, there's this girl named Jeanette that I really want you to meet, Wendy. And the three of us became fast friends. And Jeanette ended up moving uh, in 1997 after she and I graduated. Uh, we all moved out to Denver. I was the director of the Marriage and Family Life Office. Jeanette was running the Christian Initiation Office in the Archdiocese of Denver. We worked together out there, and that's where Jason Clark came into the picture. Uh, we met Jason, and Jeanette and Jason started dating, and the four of us became friends, and now we've been involved in ministry all these years. But Jeanette has not been actively teaching here and there. She did some talks for our virtual conferences over mm-hmm. the last couple of years, and she's done some things here and there. But she's been mostly just a full-time mom, mm-hmm. uh, homeschooling their five kids, and her kids are finally at the age and stage where she was ready to get back into teaching. And I invited her about last year at this time mm-hmm. uh, to consider co-teaching the Love and Responsibility course with me. And she said yes, so she and I have been preparing for this last year, and we finally taught it last week. And it was such a gift not only to go through this content, which is superb, and we did film it. It will be online as part of our online offering of courses, probably, I would guess, in early 2023. Um, But it wasn't just a gift to go through that content. It was a gift to go through it from a male and female perspective. This came out in all the evaluations of the class. People loved having that male-female complementarity, but not just the male-female complementarity, but two different marriages that mm-hmm. could speak into. So our marriage, of course, was represented through me and what I taught, but Jason and Jeanette's marriage was represented through what Jeanette taught. And on top of that, there is also the, the complementarity of, of she being a female and I being a male, but also our sharing our friendship. Mm-hmm. Jeanette and I have had a beautiful uh, friendship all these years. Um, and to be able to show the students that a chaste, appropriate friendship between a man and a woman who are not spouses uh, is really possible, especially, uh, and of course, when that is part of, that's been part of our marital relationship, yeah. that friendship. And that's what has enabled it to flower in, a, in an appropriate way. Um, so all the students, I think, really benefited from that. And I, 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 Jeanette was shining, and I benefited from that myself. 
So keep your eyes out, everybody, for when the Love and Responsibility course is finally released uh, in our online format. I think that's something you'll really want to be um, considering taking. I think it was yeah. such a gift to me, to Jeanette, and to all the students. And we have some really fun new movie clips, uh, video clips that, you know, we always make art part of the way we teach at the Institute. And I had a blast uh, going through new movie clips and, right. and funny YouTube videos and stuff to add to the teaching. So that was really fun. <laughs> that was fun for everyone. I'm so happy about how that turned out. And if you, if you have tried to read Love and Responsibility and found it a difficult go, uh, Jeanette and I break it open in a way that normal people can understand it. Yeah. And it really is so, so rich, mm. the content of love and responsibility. So again, just uh, we'll keep you posted in the future when that course comes out online. It's just fresh in my mind because we just recorded the course last week and I, I wanted to share it with everybody. Yeah. Is there anything else going on with the Institute you want to update us about? We... As usual, we have a, a slate of courses on the horizon. I encourage people to check out the TOB2 in-person course in October. We also have the Theology of the Body and the Interior Life course taught by Father Tim Gallagher. He's one of the world-renowned experts on the teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola on discerning spirits, um, discerning those inner movements of our hearts. Uh, that's a wonderful course. We have Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization coming up online, if anybody is interested in that course. Uh, you do need to have taken Theology of the Body Level 1 for both that course and for the Theology of the Body Level 2 course. You, have ha you need to have taken Theology of the Body Level 1. But our whole slate of courses uh, are on our website. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check those out. Are you ready for our first question? I am. Thank you to all of our patrons out there. And just a reminder, if you are a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute, you can submit your question on your patron membership page, and that gets you much higher up in the list of, how am I trying to say that? Potential, you'll have a higher potential of ours, of us answering your question. That's what I'm trying to say. If you submit your question through the patron membership That's page. That's right. That's the way to go. That's the way to go. No, I look at all the questions, but yeah, we definitely love to hear from our patrons. And this first question, as always, is from a patron. This one was submitted anonymously. What do I do when I feel my wife's body isn't quote unquote perfect anymore, like it was when we dated and first got married? I know it's natural with time for the body to change. We still have a great life of intimacy, but I sometimes fall into missing her body the way it was before, or comparing her with other women I see. I appreciate any perspectives you may have. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. I'm so grateful for this very honest, very human question. It is territory that I know well, because Wendy and I have been married for almost 27 years, and our bodies are changing. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are not the same that they used to be. And I want to I wanna address this. Uh, I want to be careful to be sensitive because these things are very tender, both on the male side and the female side. Uh, the woman wants to know that she is loved and lovable 
at every stage of her life. Mm -hmm. And she should know that. And guys, if we are struggling in that area, we need to put what's going on in our hearts out into the light. Um, not necessarily right away with our wives, if we haven't really worked through it and gotten to a place of peace, because that could be painful, but bring it out into the light with the Lord or somebody you trust. And that's exactly what this person is doing. He's putting this question out in the light. Mm -hmm. He's he's trusting that we might have something good to say about it. And I think we do have something good to say about it because I've wrestled with this. There is a can I interrupt you? you I just may. want to say I'm totally fine with you sharing you, about wrestling with this. I know it could seem weird because you, I'm your wife. I'm the one whose body has changed. I, My body has changed too. Okay, we were mine just a little about bit this. more. And I'm totally at peace with you just sharing. Thank you. So Wendy. go right ahead. Thank share. you. I, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bless you. It is tender. It's tender. It's tender territory. <laughs> Here's what I have discovered, my dear brother as I have looked honestly at this in my life, there is a proper desire for the beauty of our wives. It's right. It's right there in Ephesians 5, where St. Paul's talking about Christ giving himself up for his bride so that she might be all beautiful. But here's where I have made a mistake, and I think also, based on the way you worded your question, I think you might be making the same mistake that I have made and it's pining for the past rather than looking hopefully with joyful anticipation to the future. What future? Where are we all going? Where does this all go? What is our destiny? Our destiny is the resurrection of the body. Our destiny is to have bodies glorified that shine with all the glory of God. The body in its youth is only a little, 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 little glimmer of the glory that awaits us in our destiny, the destiny of the glorified, resurrected body. Uh, I'll tell a, a couple stories here. One, I'm almost certain I've shared this story on previous podcast episodes, uh, but I'll share it again because it's pertinent here. I, I was in a church this was maybe 10 years ago. I was in a church, and in walks uh, a young woman, very attractive, uh, with what I assumed was her grandmother. And her grandmother looked like she was probably in her mid-80s. And my eye immediately goes towards the younger, more attractive woman. And I noticed that, and I, I just said, well, that other older woman is also a person made in the image and likeness of God. Why does my eye go to the youthful beauty? And I just opened that question to the Lord, uh, because already at this stage of our lives, we were aging and older than we were when we got married, and I was beginning to wrestle with all these questions. And, and I heard this voice, if you will, not audibly, but kind of like a whisper in my heart, Christopher, who is closer to glory? You're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking backwards. And it was a real eye-opener for me that, that in the normal course of events, I mean, of course, that young woman in her 20s could have been hit by a car the next day and gone to heaven. Uh, but in the normal course of things, that older woman is closer to glory. And when we really have our sights set on the resurrection of the body, brother, 
That is the full beauty of your wife that at your deepest level you yearn for and you pine for. That's truly what you are yearning for and pining for. You are yearning for and pining for the fullness of beauty revealed through your wife's body. There's a scripture that also comes to mind, that all flesh is like grass, and just as the flower of the field wilts at the end of the day, so will all flesh wilt. But our flesh wilts and fades and withers like the grass and the flowers of the field, it returns to dust in the hope that that dust will be divinized. The yearning for beauty, brother, it's holy, it's sacred, but it needs to be purified and it needs to be redirected towards the only thing that can truly fulfill it. What hit me when I, I entered into that scripture about flowers wilting and all flesh is like the flowers of the field that wilt, when we look backwards to youth, we're looking at pre-wilted flowers, so to speak. And I think here of people like Hugh Hefner. You know, he's in his 80s. Uh, obviously, Hugh Hefner has died, but I'm thinking of photographs I've seen of him in his 80s, a wrinkly old man who has gathered around him bleach blonde uh, girls with with silicone injected into their breasts in their 20s. This is a man who only loves pre-wilted flowers. And as soon as they get to a certain age where they start to wilt, he discards them and, you know, recycles or goes back to pre-wilted flowers, so to speak. This is a man who has not really learned how to love really and truly, written right into our bodies. And, and Wendy, you gave me permission here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out here in the light. Go for it, love. I love your gray hair. Thanks. I love it. When the sun shines on it, mm -hmm. it sparkles. Yeah. It's also been painful as I've been going gray and you've been going gray because I think deeply about all these things. And going gray... If you really look at it, honestly, what's it reminding you of? Death. Death. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. I don't like that at all. Mm -hmm. I do not like that at all. In fact, I hate it. I don't want you to die. I want to live with you forever. Uh, the thought of you dying, the thought of your body that I have loved, the thought of your body that has borne our five children getting buried in the ground and returning to dust is is horrifying to me. I don't like it at all. And you're going gray, and you're getting wrinkly, and your body changing as it has. All of those bodily changes are a reminder that you're going to die. I don't like it. The only way I can face that is through hope in the resurrection of your body. This is what Christianity holds out, not just some everlasting soul, but the resurrection of the body. That and that alone, placing my faith there, enables me to embrace your graying hair, enables me to embrace your wrinkling skin, enables me to embrace all the changes that are, are coming our way, and we're already in the midst of them, that will remind us continually that we are decaying, that we are headed towards the grave. The only thing that it can enable us to face that honestly and with hope that death can be conquered is that there is a love that is stronger than death and conquers death to the point 
of the resurrection of the body. And here I'm reminded of something Pope Benedict XVI says in his book, Introduction to Christianity. He says, in the Song of Songs, this, this husband and wife cry out from the depths of their longing, the depths of their love, the depths of their eros. They cry out in the Song of Songs for a love that is stronger than death. That's the cry of love. And Pope Benedict XVI says, this brings us to the fundamental problem of human existence in the world. We long for a love, we long for a beauty, we long for a goodness, we long for a joy, we long for a union, we long for a happiness that does not fade, that does not wilt, that does not grow, grow uh, weary or, or die. And yet we are confronted every day with the reality that nothing in this life lasts forever. And then Pope Benedict XVI says, Christ's resurrection from the dead bodily and his bodily ascension into heaven and his promise that our bodies also will be glorified, that is the answer of God to the cry of Eros for a love, for a beauty that doesn't fade, that doesn't wilt, that is stronger than death. My dear brother, enter into that hope of the resurrection, and you will find yourself less and less looking backwards to pre-wilted flowers, and you will find yourself looking forward to the resurrection of your body and the resurrection of your wife's body, and that hope will enable you to embrace the aging process and the dying process with hope, with faith, and with love. Something I love, and I'll just share this with our listeners, is, is knowing people over long periods of time and seeing how they grow and change. I love to encounter the, the adults that I once babysat, yeah, or, you know, yeah, that, yeah. you know, those cousins that you've known since they were born yeah. and now look at them. I, I don't know. There's something beautiful about that. Sometimes when I look at our own children, I'll see something on their face that just, I suddenly am flashed to them at a much younger age, or it's almost like there's this little mental slideshow yes, that can yes. play in my mind just as I as I look at them, our children especially, but also you, also other people in my life. And it's it's a little quick flash reminder of of the years that have passed. And and then I refocus in on the person I'm looking at right now. And it can be surprising, you know, how they've changed. And yet there's also like something beautiful about it all together. I just had this experience with you mm -hmm. last week. We were at mass, we were at a wedding, and, and I, uh, the couple was going off yeah. to, the, to the Blessed Mother right. statue, and I had a flash of 27 years ago almost right. when you and I went over there, and, and I had that picture of you as a 23-year-old right. young person right. in my mind, and I opened my eyes. And there and I, I was. was. Like, oh my gosh, you're a middle-aged <laughs> woman. How did this all happen? So I, I, I know exactly yeah, what you're, yeah. you're talking about. And all of that can trigger some wistfulness for a different time, but it can also enrich the yes, now yes. and see the gift of knowing someone over time and change. And I think about that where we are now and how we look physically now is an expression of our inner journey. And it's really 
a beautiful thing. I'm thinking of a scene in a movie right now. Um, that, do you remember the movie Wonder? Yes. Um, there's a there's a scene where the mother and son who has a very disfigured face yes. are talking, and the the mother says to him, um, "What you see on your face shows where you've been." Mm. And it's beautiful. Mm. Mm. And there's something just powerful about that, that your story is reflected in your body. And when we have the privilege of being married, we have the privilege of knowing one another's stories on such a, a deep level that even as we might experience that nostalgia and wistfulness for a time in the past, we can also view the now and and appreciate the gift of life shared, of knowing the story yes, of the person yes, who yes. presents this way now and yes. realizing you are that much more a gift to me. What a privilege to go on that journey. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of St. Paul saying, uh, while our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed mm. day by day. Mm-hmm. And there, there is that call to see in the journey of a lifetime, as you're saying, what a privilege it is to be on that journey with another person. And and we have to reckon, and I think what this is what this questioner is reckoning with, there is a real sadness in the outer self wasting away. Mm. It's a reminder of death, as we were saying, mm-hmm. and that death is a sad reality. But that hope in the resurrection of the body allows our inner self to be renewed day by day. And it's the hope that in the resurrection, our inner and our outer self will shine with glory. And I think Thomas Aquinas, I think it is Thomas Aquinas who says, he he guesses, he figures that uh, we will all be about age 33 in our glorified bodies, because that's the age that Christ was crucified. Mm. Um, so he, he has a much more eloquent way of explaining why he <laughs> thinks that, but... Uh, hey, I wouldn't mind if if our glorified <laughs> bodies are are age thirty three. Be fine with me, <laughs> brother. Keep going. Keep pressing into those movements of your heart. Keep exposing them to the Lord, and pray for the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Faith in the resurrection of the body. Hope that it is really coming, and the ability to love your dear wife as she ages and dies, Mm. but in faith and in hope and in love. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, as a virgin man saving himself from marriage, how can I prepare myself physically to make sure that I'm able to connect with my spouse spiritually and emotionally and provide pleasure to her while not destroying myself spiritually? It's a really scary and daunting thing where you hear about things like you need to last longer. Your spouse will have great dissatisfaction towards you, or you'll be divorced in just a few months because you're not good in bed, etc. Oh, mercy. Please help me understand how I can console myself and prepare myself to be able to connect with my spouse while being an imperfect man. Bless you, brother, brother, brother. That's such a tender, tender place in your heart you're opening up. I feel so honored that you would entrust that to us. I I hear a lot going on in your question, and I hear 
a lot of thinking that has been formed and shaped by, uh, I'll just quote from John Paul II here, from the utilitarian paradigm. This is all fresh in my mind because I just taught that love and responsibility class mm, yeah. last week. And he, he contrasts what he calls a utilitarian paradigm with a personalistic paradigm. Let me define these words. Utilitarianism evaluates a person based on the pleasure that he or she provides to me. And if you don't provide me pleasure, you are of no value to me. I will discard you and I will find my pleasure elsewhere. That is utilitarianism. And if that is the paradigm, it should haunt us because uh, who of us can ever live under that kind of scrutiny? Uh, there, the, we are imperfect. We are not going to be perfect pleasure and perfect joy for another person. That is just not life. What we're going to be is an imperfect human person. And you've already noted that in your question. And your, 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 your heart, what I hear in your question is your heart is crying out to be known and loved and seen, not as an object of someone else's pleasure, the utilitarian paradigm, but your heart is crying out to be known and loved and seen and honored as a person. That's the personalistic paradigm. What does it mean? It's the difference between persons and things, right? Things are dispensable, replaceable, and repeatable. These are all terms I've, I've learned from John Paul II, but here John Paul has the, the great gift of giving us a language to talk about things we know are already true in our hearts, but we don't have the words for. And my example typically is, is a toaster, for whatever reason. I don't know. I think of toasters. But toasters are dispensable. Your toaster breaks, you throw it away. Toasters are replaceable. Your toaster breaks, you throw it away, you get another one. Toasters are repeatable. There are a million of the very same model of toaster at the Amazon warehouse. But the human person, and person is the word that distinguishes us from things, persons are indispensable. This is why it hurts when somebody tosses us aside or throws us away. Persons are indispensable. Persons are irreplaceable. This is why when somebody tosses us aside and then puts somebody else in our place and replaces us, it hurts. Yes. Persons are unrepeatable. Brother, there is no other you. Never was, never will be. You are the only you who has ever existed. And what I hear in your question is that you know that you are worthy of a love that recognizes you as indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. But you, like me and everybody else listening to this podcast, we've been raised in a world where the paradigm is not upholding the value and dignity of the person, but the paradigm is treating persons as dispensable, replaceable, and repeatable things. And the way you play that game in a utilitarian culture, the way you win that game, if, you, if it's even possible to win that game, is I have to be a source of the maximum pleasure for this other person in order to alleviate the threat of being 
dispensed with, replaced, and treated as repeatable. Brother, the best thing you can do to prepare for a marriage, and here I'll quote John Paul II again. Again, it's fresh in my mind because I just taught this material last week. The best thing you can do is to be reconciled with your own greatness. Hmm. That's a quote right out of Love and Responsibility. The human person must be reconciled with his or her natural greatness. If you know that about yourself, that you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable, then guess what? You're going to know that about other people too. And you're going to attract into your life people who are in touch with that deep desire to be loved in that same way. And as you learn to show that love to others, others will also learn and desire to show that same kind of love to you. But it does take a, a painful adjustment, if you will, in stepping out of the utilitarian paradigm. And I want to just point out a couple things that you said in your question about how can I, as a single man, and a man who wants to be chaste, how can I learn to, I'm just using your own example here, last longer so that when I get married, I can give the proper pleasure to my wife. So this is an idea floating out there, and it's not, you know, it's not entirely based on falsehoods. There's a truth here, and John Paul II himself talks about this truth in Love and Responsibility, that there is a, a shorter curve of arousal typically in the male and a longer curve of arousal in the woman, in the female. And a husband who desires to be virtuous will learn how to adjust his own curve of arousal to coincide more with his wife so that he can also bring his wife to the fullness of pleasure in the marital embrace. That's right out of John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility. So maybe you've even heard that from John Paul II, and maybe that has made you a little bit nervous. What if I can't do that? I, I've, I'm not having sexual relations. I don't know how to even engage in that kind of behavior. I'm not a married man. What can I do now to prepare for that? You might get advice, for example, from a, a, a secular, well, first of all, a secular therapist is going to tell you, go out and have lots of sexual experiences. That's how you prepare yourself. Or a secular therapist might say, well, well just practice by masturbating and, and extending your own time of, of your curve of arousal and learn how to do that through masturbation. This is some of the worst advice you could possibly be given. Yes, do not do, do that. Do not go down that path, my brother. Do not go down that path. Do not go down that path. Because you, you're going to be training your, your whole psychosexual reactions towards a very self-centered stimulation. The purpose of your sexual faculty given to you by God is to learn how to be a gift to another person another person. That is nothing you can learn in advance. This is something that a married couple work out together in their marriage, and it takes years. Wendy and I have been at it for almost 27 years, and there's still more to learn. We know each other very, very well, but it would be foolish for us to say there's not more to learn. John Paul II says there has to be an appropriate culture of marital relations. And this means, he says, 
learning to enter the other person's world. He says the, the world of the woman is a world other, a world different from the world of a man. And the world of a man is a world different, a world other than the world of a woman. And it takes two people, a man and a woman, who are committed to opening up that world to the other and letting that other come into that world. And that is a long-term project, a lifelong project. And this is why the marriage commitment itself is a commitment for life, because that's what it takes. And to, to have that really work well, you have to have two people who see the indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable dignity of the other and are willing to go through a lifelong journey of inner purifications that are required to uphold that dignity. And that really and truly does get worked out slowly over time in the marriage bed, so that the marriage bed becomes more and more a mature expression of the honoring of the dignity of the other. I hear that cry in your heart, brother, for, for, for that dignity in you to be upheld. And the best thing you can do to prepare for marriage is to learn how to uphold that dignity in yourself and to learn how to uphold that dignity in others. Two thoughts I'm having to add to that is, one is um, your book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, um, which is wonderful for answering a lot of the particular questions, but not just the particular questions, but giving the whole context of how to understand um, what God's plan is and how we can live in that grace yes, in yes. our lives. Because I think this listener and probably many listeners have been way overexposed to another vision yes, yes. of our sexuality. We need detox. We need a right. detox from that utilitarian paradigm. So that's the first thing is I really want to recommend that book and that it, you would read it, not just looking for, as you call them, Christopher, the nitty gritties, right. but for the bigger vision, which I really think will be a great help to you. The other sense I'm having is that I, I just feel like there could be a wound of rejection that mm. is in your past that um, is kind of getting super focused on this aspect of a, an anxiety about your future and what if I would be rejected yes, here. Yes. And I think that, you know, when you're looking at how can I prepare, I really do think looking at ways to address those wounds will have just abundant fruit in your life. I'm thinking of the John Paul II Healing Center. I don't yes. know why that's coming to my mind. I don't know, Christopher, if you could explain a little bit about that. Yes, the John Paul II Healing Center was founded by a, a dear friend of ours named Dr. Bob Schutz. He's a Catholic uh, marriage and family therapist by training, and he has really applied the principles of theology of the body into a healing ministry. They have weekend seminars. Um, we offered a retreat with Dr. Bob Schutz for our patrons. And if you are a patron, please, please uh, watch that retreat with Dr. Bob Schutz. And, and uh, he and I walked through applying principles of theology of the body to questions of inner healing. If you're not a patron, but you want to have access to that retreat and many other retreats and offerings that we provide our patrons, please check out the link in the show notes. And regarding my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, we'll have a link for that too. But if you prefer to watch 
uh, and learn the contents of that book. I did a, an entire YouTube series of, of nearly 150 videos uh, where I walked through all the questions in that book mm. to provide that overview. So if you prefer to watch videos about that book that would give you that overall picture, just start watching those videos on YouTube, uh, Theology of the Body Institute YouTube channel. You'll, you'll find them there. Mm-hmm. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. That I, Wendy, I think you did put your finger on this, this person's heart, that rejection wound. I can relate. I have deep rejection wounds. And we, the, the healing of those rejection wounds are coming to, the healing is coming to know that we are genuinely loved by God in our indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable humanity. Amen. Our next question, also from an anonymous listener, is how should you respond to a child or adult who says they do not desire physical affection. Since affection is meant to be a gift to the other, is it most loving and thoughtful to respect their desire? Or are they really still in need of affection? Wow. Wow. I, I, again, with all caveats uh, that I am not a therapist, I am not a psychologist, but I do have some knowledge of the human heart. I am an anthropologist. Um, and a theologian by training, and my, my training in theology is theological anthropology, meaning uh, what and who is a human person uh, from God's perspective. And the human person from God's perspective is naturally made to desire, uh, and it's one of the deepest desires, if not the deepest desire, is for physical touch. Um, Babies who, I mean, there are studies done in which babies who have not been touched are examined and compared with babies who have received lots of physical touch. And a baby who has not received physical touch can actually die as a result. It's, it's an indication of how, how deeply we are wired by God for touch. And in our fallen world, we all know that touch can be unhealthy. Touch can be self-seeking, and when somebody touches us with a self-seeking motive, especially touches us in intimate ways, uh, it does the exact opposite. The greatest goods, physical touch, one of the greatest goods, sexual intimacy, one of the greatest goods God has given us. Physical touch, because it's one of the greatest goods, when it's twisted, when it's perverted by lust or selfishness, becomes one of the greatest evils. And physical touch in God's plan can bring one of the greatest consolations and and can be one of the sources of, of the greatest joy when it's misused, when it's uh, the fruit of our fallen, perverse intentions. It can cause the greatest harm. Uh, again, I don't want to read into the situation pretending I know exactly what's going on. I don't know exactly what's going on. But it would be my guess that there is a wound in this person's heart somewhere. I don't know what kind of wound. It could be any number of sources. I don't want anybody to jump to conclusions here who knows this person thinking, well, that means this person has been sexually molested. I I have no idea, and I would not jump to that conclusion. But I I would believe we are so wired for touch that to reject it, to say, I don't want touch, there's some kind of emotional or psychological wound of some kind there. 
And and yes, the the disposition is to respect where that person is on on his or her journey. Not ev- do not impose touch because that's just going to pour salt on the wound. Mm. But you can you can offer the the pain that that this might cause in your relating, especially if you're one who wants to show that affection. And maybe there's a, a sense of rejection that you feel that this person is not welcoming of my affection here. You can offer that pain that you feel as intercession for the healing of this person's wounds. And, and that intercession is real. We've talked about that many times on our podcast, that pain that other people cause us can be opened up and offered as intercession. Intercession that becomes a potent uh, way of bringing about uh, favorable conditions for that other person's healing. Wendy, what are your thoughts as you have listened to this question and listened to what I've shared so far? Yeah, I think there's just a fundamental insight, both in your answer and even in the question, are they really still in need of that affection? And um, yeah, that sense of this is this is part of human you know, interaction that's really important. And I, I, I somehow have an instinct that this person is asking about someone very close in the family, whether a wife or, or husband or child. Um, and so, you know, someone that you're in a position where you would be offering affection. Um, and I think there's so much wisdom in just saying to not further the wound by insisting on something. Um, But also I think just to look for ways that you, that affirmation is received by this person and it takes a certain alertness and a certain acknowledgement that we're imperfect. You cannot perfectly figure out how to show love to another person. Sometimes you have to ask directly. Sometimes you have to try things and have it not go well in order to gradually learn what is affirming to this other person. And that desire to show affection can really be channeled into the ways that the affirmation can be received, combined with the prayer, and the hope that in this journey of life, this person will be able to experience whatever is healing, whatever healing is needed in order to give and receive affection. It's a painful reality to be in relation with someone you care about yes, that, where yes. this is limited or non-existent. And that is exactly what you're saying we can offer up. I'm reminded as you share that, Wendy, of the book, The Five Love Languages. Mm. Is it Five Love Languages? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Five Love Languages. And, and I think there's just some distinctions to be made here. You know, some people say physical touch is my love language. And, and I think that that can be particular, you know, in, an, in a particular way, I appreciate physical touch. I don't think we're dealing with that here. I don't think we're just dealing, based on the way the question was worded, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like we're just dealing with someone who prefers a different love language. Uh, it sounds like just the, in the normal course of events, like a hand on the shoulder or uh, a, a hug or embrace is is very uncomfortable for this person, mm-hmm. and and that's why I thought there's probably some some sure. underlying wound. I don't think there's necessarily a wound involved when someone says, "Oh, I prefer," uh, you know, that's not my love language. Physical touch is not my love language. I don't think we're. Would you agree with me, Wendy? That we're, sure. we're probably looking at something yeah. deeper based on the way that question was worded. But yes, find out 
ways that this person can receive your your affection and affirmation and, and begin there. And if it's an older person, I mean, you can't really enter into a conversation about this with a three-year-old. Um, but if this is an older person, uh, then I would invite you just to, in a loving, tender, understanding way, just pose some questions. What is it about when I put my hand on your shoulder or when I go to hug you that is uncomfortable for you? Um, that could that could spark some helpful conversation. Mm. And and I'd also encourage you if if you do run into uh, if you do gain a knowledge that there are some wounds there that need some deeper attention, please look at the list of counselors that we recommend here at the Theology of the Body Institute. We hope you have been blessed by our episode today. We thank the three people who submitted those questions. We invite everyone out there, if you have a question, please submit it. Um, we, we do what we can to get to as many questions as we are able. We do go through all of the questions. Wendy looks through them all, and we pray for everybody who submits your question. Keep them coming, and if you were blessed by something we shared today, please hit that share icon and help us spread the good news about this podcast to other listeners. Until next time, may you know it in your heart, in your mind, in your very body, that you are created by God as a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.